With Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our online banking and mobile app are like having a branch at your fingertips. Insured by NCUA and with everything you need to use and manage your accounts 24-7. Hi, I'm Tom Obergfell of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, inviting you to enjoy better banking where and when you want. Features include bill pay, money transfer, budgeting, early payday program, and much more. Check us out today at NotreDameFCU.com to learn more. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop who is, uh, have you started packing yet for your trip? Not yet. I have okay. a lot going on before I leave because I had to move things from October to September. And yeah, so I, I haven't had uh, any time to pack. Yeah. <laughs> so for those that aren't aware, you are going to be gone for about a month. Correct. Is it? Will this be the longest that you've been gone from the diocese, uh, any, from either diocese yes. since you've been a bishop? Yeah. I mean, I leave September 28th and I come back October 30th. Okay. Yeah. It's it's feels strange. But look, fortunately, I have, you know, Father Gertner, our vicar general, and mm-hmm. diocesan officials who are, you know, helping me and, and making sure. And of course, I will be able to be reached if there's anything, you know, really important matter that they can email me or call me. So for those that aren't aware, Pope Francis has asked you to be, or I guess did the the USCCB choose you to be a representative for the Synod? Yes, the the U.S. bishops uh, were able to choose through a vote five bishops, Uh and I was one of the, as delegates, and I'm one who was elected. We can talk a little bit about people might be interested in the participants, like who's who's going. You know, of course, this is world synod of bishops, so there are bishops from around the world have been elected to go, but there's also bishops whom Pope himself appointed. Right. And then there are also, this is something very unusual about this synod, is Pope Francis has also appointed some non-bishops, a, uh, a minority number, but who will also be participants or delegates at the Synod, some priests and some lay people. Mm-hmm. And from the United States, as far as those who are elected delegates, besides myself, are Cardinal Dolan of New York, Bishop Daniel Flores of Brownsville, Texas, also very well-known, Bishop Robert Barron mm-hmm. is an elected delegate, as well as, oh, how can I forget? He's the president of our Episcopal Conference, and Archbishop Timothy Brolio is the archbishop for the military, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, military archdiocese in the United States. And uh, the Holy Father himself appointed some other U.S. bishops— Archbishop of Chicago, Cardinal Blaise Supich, also the Bishop of San Diego, Cardinal Robert McElroy, the Archbishop of Washington, Cardinal Wilton Gregory, Archbishop Paul Asian, the Archbishop of Seattle, and Cardinal Sean O'Malley, the Archbishop of Boston. He also appointed a priest, Father Francis Martin, who is a Jesuit, Father uh, James Martin. Or who did I say? You said Francis Martin. Oh, yeah, I meant James Martin. Also a group of lay people and, and a religious sister as well, or two religious sisters, I believe. So our delegation, we've had a meeting, one meeting so far, but it was actually the North American group. So it was not just 
the U.S., but mm. also the delegates from Canada. And we had a, a meeting in Chicago, and it was very good. It was more a meet and greet, get to know each other, but also begin some discussions based on the working document of the Synod. How many from Canada would be? It will be less than the United States. Okay. Um, I think there were probably five or six. Okay. Yeah. But it was good because it's good to get to know each other a bit before we, we go to Rome. Uh-huh. And so will you go early to see anything, do anything, retreat, any of that? Well, nothing personal, but the Holy Father has required us to come three days early. Okay. The Synod actually begins on October 1st, but he asked us to go. So the reason I'm leaving September 28th is this is to be a very spiritual uh, discernment. Mm -hmm. And therefore he wants us to begin with a retreat. So we will be going, I'll be going those few days early and all of us, all the Synod delegates will be on retreat for a few days before the actual work begins. So maybe we should back up here a little bit and can you remind us like what is a synod? What, what has been the process of this, the synodality that's been happening over the past several years? Yeah, well, the Synod of Bishops was created by Pope Paul VI, St. Paul VI, mm. and it was something in the Second Vatican Council called for this. So this is what's taking place is the 16th ordinary general assembly of the synod of bishops. This is the 16th, you know, since the council, but synodality has been part of the life of the church from the beginning. When you think about it, bishops gathered in synods in the uh, first centuries of the church. And so synodality is not new, but I'd say it's received new impetus. And Pope Francis is very committed to us becoming a more synodal church what and does that mean? That means that, again, the, the, well, the document doesn't, doesn't give a definition, but basically gives a description. So what are the characteristics of a synodal church? First of all, I would say it has to do with that we're all on this journey together, the journey of faith mm -hmm. on, this, on this earth. And we are, all the baptized are uh, brothers and sisters in Christ on a journey so it's important that there be, uh, and one of the main themes of the Synod is communion, that we're all one body in Christ. And the synodal experience is that we, we act like brothers and sisters in Christ. We live as brothers and sisters in Christ. So we listen to one another. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things, even looking at the life of Jesus. So Pope Francis wants this to be a, a more listening church at every level. So, and we, we already have that experience, for example, let's just say in a parish, you know, the, the pastor is the shepherd, but he needs to listen to his people. That's why we have synodal structures, for example, a parish pastoral council mm -hmm. or on the diocesan level too. I'm not just a bishop who, you know, I have to listen to the people of God mm -hmm. and we have structures for that, you know. Our diocese has not had a diocesan pastoral council, but I'm, I've been working on forming one. But there are already synodal structures. For example, we have a presbyteral council where, where I listen to the priests mm -hmm. and, and also 
if in, in my discernment, in my decision-making. Um, and then I listened to the laity in, in very different ways. Everything from the diocesan finance council to just the consultations that take place. I don't make decisions in isolation. So I think what, what Pope Francis is really, or what the documents are really strong about, is that all the baptized are part of the church, and we need to be together, united in mission. So we have these themes of the synod, communion, mm-hmm. communion. We are all together as one body in Christ, different members, and but then also united in mission, that it's not just the job of the bishops and priests to be missionaries. Pope Francis has made it very clear that everyone is to be a missionary disciple. So communion and mission are are really key themes of the synod. And then the third key theme is has to do with participation. And that's where you get into things like the exercise of authority. But it needs to... There, uh, and that's where probably some of the more uh, difficult questions will be will arise. But the idea of how we have those who, who are ordained, okay, the sacrament of holy orders, they have a specific mission of, of leadership and governance. But again, it involves listening to the people of God. Ultimately, though, what we're talking about is listening to the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's what Pope Francis has been very, very clear that this is not like a Congress or Parliament. This is not a political, the church is the body of Christ. This isn't a political assembly where, and he wants us to, and that's the danger that sometimes people, you know, where ideology and political stuff come in. So no, this is an idea. This is a a process of listening to the Holy Spirit, what we can call conversation in the spirit. So I think it'll be interesting to see how all, all of this pans out. As I mentioned, though, maybe, you know, looking at it more closely, we have what's called the instrumentum laboris, which is a Latin, which basically means a working instrument. This is a document for the discernment of the participants in the work of mm-hmm. the synod. So this document kind of has come about as the result of a long process the last two years of listening to the people of God in the local churches. If you remember, this began on the local level, right? even, you know, throughout the world and including our diocese where there were all these listening sessions and hundreds of people participated. So that was the first step in, in the synod really. And then it kind of rose to the national level where all the results from the dioceses came together in a national document. Then it moved to the the continental phase. Hmm. And so in each of these stages, now it goes to the stage of the universal church, but in each of these stages, the same process was at work. Prayer, hmm. listening to one another. And what were we talking about? We were talking about synodality because the theme is synodality, how to be a more synodal church. Now, when you think of past synods, there were various topics like evangelization or the, 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 the Word of God. There was a synod on the Word of God. There was a synod on the Eucharist. There was uh, a synod on the youth. 
centered on youth, uh, centered on the family. So there were these various topics. So, but this is, is kind of unique. This is a synod on synodality, on how to be a more synodal church. Hmm. And this is very close to the heart of Pope Francis because he wants us to delve more deeply into this dimension of the church and recognizing that this is not a political process. This is the real protagonist of the synod is the Holy Spirit. And the idea is discernment. And where do we need conver- you know, a, a conversion? So it'll be interesting to see how it develops. Uh, I'm learning through this. You know, I've mm-hmm. never been to a synod, but this is kind of a unique synod. I mean, in the sense that other synods, for example, there was never a synod that had lay people as voting delegates. Now, I don't know if that'll become a permanent uh, part of the synod of bishops. I, I don't have no idea, but at least it's kind of experimental at this point. And for the first session, by the way, this 16th Ordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops, this is the first session in October. We have the second session next October uh-huh. in 2024. So I will be going again. I'm presuming I'll still be a delegate. Mm-hmm. So this is another interesting part. There are two sessions, both across these two years. So I think keeping in mind, again, the three words that really constitute the theme of the synod, this synod on synodality, are communion, mission, and participation. Mm. Communion, mission, and, and participation. And they're essential in a synodal church. So each of these three priorities, and you can read this in the working document, the Instrumentum Laboris, will be the focus. And when we gather, from what I understand, we have been able to give our preference on which of the themes we would want to be involved in in the discussions Mm. in the working, in the uh, small groups because there's going to be a lot of small group and I think like 15 people like, and they'll be by language and okay. we'll be assigned, you know, one of those three themes. And I think, and we're allowed to give our preferences. So we'll be focusing, like I'll be in a group that will focus on one of those three themes and the questions that you can find at the end of the working document, which gets into a particular questions that we should be discussing that relate to that theme. There'll also be plenary sessions where everyone is together. But I think a lot of the discussion, because it's such so, such a large group, will be in the small groups, the language groups. Mm-hmm. So will you be in English or do you say that you're also available in Spanish and Italian? No, I said English. Okay. I think, you know, I could probably... Do the others, but I'll, I'll obviously be more comfortable sure. in English. It'll be less uh, mental activity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So there's a worksheet that goes with, there's five worksheets that go with these these three priorities. And I've already, and they've asked us to do this, to already be reflecting and praying. And that's something that I'm really happy the Holy Father has emphasized, that we need to be spiritually prepared. Mm-hmm. And then when we get there, we begin with the retreat. And then that that spirit of prayer. And 
you know, the Holy Spirit's been insistent, you know, that the Holy Spirit is the protagonist of this whole process. And I'm happy about that. So what would be the difference between this meeting and the one a year from now? What, what, is there something going to happen in between there that you'll be working I, on? I think it's going to be time to then, after this October, to kind of reflect on what, what we talked about. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, all of this is ultimately going to be the discernment of the Pope mm. because the Synod of Bishops is not it itself is not making decisions. I mean, it, ultimately, this is for the successor of St. Peter to mm-hmm. reflect. So, but then we continue to reflect, and I'm not quite sure how during the year, if there's going to be another level of consultation, I'm not quite sure. I guess we'll, we'll find out. Mm-hmm. And I imagine what will happen, this is just what I speculate, is that, you know, things will be more focused in the second session about, okay, what are the, the main things that arose from the discernment that took place in the first session. So I would think that, you know, there'll be a more, you know, maybe looking more concretely at, okay, what are the things that we can do in the church to become more synodal? Is there anything already in your mind of... Well, we have synodal structures already, but some of them maybe need to function better. Mm-hmm. That's one thing, you know, should there be some other structures? That'll probably be a question. You know, the theology and ecclesiology that you see at work, I think for me, there's some areas that I think could be improved. And, you know, I would like to see a more Christological focus, hmm. more about Christ. A lot is about the Holy Spirit, but we have to be careful that discernment is done well. Mm-hmm. Is this truly the voice of the Holy Spirit? And therefore, I would like to see more focus on the teachings of Christ as foundational. Mm-hmm. Not that they aren't, but I think it could be more explicit in the documents so that we we don't separate pneumatology from Christology. So listeners know what I'm talking about. Pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit and Christology is the study of Christ. Mm. So I would like to see a more Christological approach. I don't think you can have a merely pneumatological approach. So therefore I would like to see more of Christ and his teachings as foundational. I think probably in the present documents that's presumed uh-huh. You know, but I think it should be more explicit. What about, you mentioned a lot of these advisory boards and stuff like that. They seem like they might be optional. Do you think like making some of these mandatory might be one of the things you discuss? I think so, because when you look at canon law, parish pastoral councils are optional. Hmm. or And so are diocesan pastoral councils. Perhaps one of the results will be these are mandatory. Okay. I, I, in our diocese, however, I have made parish pastoral councils obligatory. Okay. So the bishop has authority to do that. I, I feel bad that we don't have a diocesan pastoral council. Our diocese, I don't think, ever did. And I've been working on that, but I've been pulled in so many different directions. I haven't been able to have the time to actually finalize it, but hopefully this coming year I will. Mm-hmm.
Do you expect Pope Francis to be there for the whole thing? Or is he expecting you to meet and present back to him your I think from the past, he attends every day. Okay. Yeah. Now, I think, you know, when he has a Wednesday audience or something, he's not there. But my understanding is that he is there listening throughout the whole synod. So will you stay together, the group of you that are working on this? Or are you on your own for where you stay? Oh, you mean where we live? Yeah. Where we reside when yeah. we're there? Well, it's interesting. All the U.S. delegates were staying at the North American College. However, they ran out of room. Okay. So the uh, USCCB asked me if I would mind living elsewhere with Archbishop Brolio at the Villa Stritch, which is a residence that the USCCB has for, for Americans who work at the Vatican. Huh. So priests and bishops who work at the Vatican live at the Villa Stritch. So for some reason, I don't know why they asked me to go there, but <laughs> Archbishop Brolio asked me and I said, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, that's fine. It's a little more, you know, I don't know how that'll work out because that's kind of uh, on the outskirts. It's a little bit more travel time. Uh-huh. But Archbishop Brolio will have a car. I wouldn't, I wouldn't drive in Rome myself. No. I don't trust my, I mean, it's kind of crazy and I'm not the best driving in those kind of situations. So, but I know my way around Rome. I mean, I, I know the buses and everything. So I, you know, but it will be perhaps a little less convenient, you know, because, you know, I can't just walk out the door and walk, you know, and whereas the North American college, you can walk over to the Vatican in 10 minutes, you okay. know, which would have been easier. Yeah. So I, you know, I imagine that on certain days, you know, we break for lunch. I'd probably just go up to the North American college for lunch. Uh-huh. The way Italy works is, uh, and I'm very familiar with this, is is generally you work in the morning or go to school in the morning. And then around one, you kind of take break, take a break for pranzo, which is lunch, which is usually a big lunch. And then, um, then you have a few hours and then you get back to work at like four and work till like seven. So I think that's probably what's going to happen. It's a, it's different than like we work what nine to five, but in Italy it's like, you know, nine to one and then four to seven. Uh-huh. So I think that's probably how the Senate will be. My understanding is we'll work six days a week that we'll be gathering six days a week and only have Sunday off. Uh-huh. So I think it'll be a little grueling. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Anything that you're doing besides the meetup in Chicago to prepare for it? Or are you just trying to get your stuff done here and then you'll you'll prepare once you get there? Yeah, I'm kind of, you know, torn because I have a lot going on in the diocese, a lot of things and masses and homilies and talks to prepare. So it's a little bit challenging to be doing both. But we do have also a couple more Zoom meetings with with the North American delegates. So that are on my calendar. So we'll still be meeting, but virtually the meeting in person that I was at was in Chicago at Mundelein Seminary, but the other, because we're from all over. So the others meetings that we have will all be virtual. I think there's like two or three more before we leave. So I think it's going to be really interesting. We'll see how, how things go. The idea is, you know, the church, um, you know, part of this whole process too is 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 maintaining you know the unity, and this requires also conversion. I mean, that's part of the Christian life, mm. and really being open to one another that gives 
space for the action of the Holy Spirit. And again, this method of conversation in the Spirit, it's, it's um, you know, this is the synodal method. It's a spiritual conversation. This is not something, again, political. And that's, I think, what everyone has to keep in mind. Because I think sometimes in the media, it kind of gets presented almost like what we normally think of, you know, we kind of think in these political categories, but the church is not a parliament. The church is a communion. Mm -hmm. It's a hierarchical communion. And so the question is, how do we live in this way? And then also another challenge is, you know, we have a mission in the world to be a sign and an instrument of union with God and of unity of all all humanity. I mean, that's in Lumen Gentium. And of course, we see that unity, especially at the celebration of the Eucharist. And then the idea of our co-responsibility in mission, that everyone has gifts and tasks in the service of the gospel. So this is where you get into, you know, mission is, is essential when we think about the church and the synodal church, that we have a mission in the world you know, we've received the Holy Spirit. This, is, you know, goes back to Pentecost. And so we have a, a mission as a community to manifest uh, God in the world. And how do we do that? We have to ask ourselves, what can I do as a baptized person in mission to go out of myself? And I think this gets to what Pope Francis is really you know, from the very beginning has talked about the call to missionary discipleship, that we're not just disciples of Jesus. We are to be missionaries, disciples. You know, the disciples were sent out by Jesus on mission. And that's kind of the area that if I, I, I would, I think that's the area that I gave as my preference as far as the small groups is that area of mission, because that's kind of what excites me the most. Mm. You know, part of it is what, in continuity with St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict, this new evangelization. But these can't be just things that are abstract. You know, we have to be concrete about it. How do we do this? So I think that'll be one of the things that that, that will be brought, discussed in the Synod, bringing this down to the more practical. And then the third priority, of course, is participation, which then that's where we get into how authority is exercised within a synodal church, you know, that our structures and our institutions, that they have this missionary dynamism. And that's, that's an area that will have a, a lot of pre, you know, a lot of uh, practical applications. So mm. I don't know where all this is going to go. I'm still learning. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, it'll be interesting to, one thing I'm really looking forward to, by the way, is listening to bishops and, and others throughout the world mm -hmm. and their experiences in their, in their local churches. I mean, we're all in such, I mean, we're all one, but we have very different contexts. I mean, there will be bishops from areas where the church is, is being persecuted. Mm -hmm. You know, there will be areas of the world where, the church is very, very poor mm -hmm. and struggling. Areas where Christians and Catholics are a small minority. 
Then there are areas of the world where, you know, there's dynamic growth within the church, like in Africa. Mm -hmm. Then there's Latin America, where we have the largest number of Catholics, where Catholicism has really permeated the culture. And then we have Europe, which is kind of, you could say, the older church, Mm -hmm. where they're really struggling with the secularism and the lack and the, the small percentage of Catholics who are even, who are active in the faith. So, and then the United States, which is not in such straits, uh, dire straits as maybe the church in Europe, but, but we're struggling with some of those same things. Starting to head in that direction. Exactly. You know, when we only, that's why we have the Eucharistic revival. Mm -hmm. We only have 25% of our people going to mass on Sunday. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're all coming from different, with different challenges. So I think it's important as as Catholics to be also uh, aware of and concerned about the worldwide church, the universal church. And I see that even in our own diocese. I mean, I, you know, we have priests who are serving here from other countries, especially Africa and uh, India or Sri Lanka. But so there is some awareness of, of you know, there's some awareness of what's going on in in those areas of the world where they're blessed with more vocations to the priesthood and religious life. We're doing okay here in our diocese, but there are dioceses in the United States where the shortage of priests is really acute. Right. So there's even learning about each other and and the challenges here in the United States. And we can learn from one another. Mm. You know, I'm, I I don't, you know, the synodal path in Germany, I think has been problematic. Mm. That'll certainly, you know, that's something that, you know, the Vatican has pointed out deficiencies and some of the things that, that have happened in the synodal path. But so there'll be some of the German delegates there and, you know, it'll be interesting what conversation arises there because, you know, it's important that, you know, we remain united. Okay. There's a diversity within the church, but we need to, to, you know, preserve unity. And that means unity of faith and that's where the role of magisterium comes in, especially the College of Bishops and and the uh, Pope, the successor of St. Peter. If a bishop from Africa, for example, would ask you, how would you explain your diocese? What are some of the, the blessings and some of the struggles? Yeah. What would you, what sticks out? Yeah, speaking of our diocese in particular, mm-hmm. I would say that... Um, that the, the faith is strong, um, that um, we have a lot of committed Catholics. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of institutions, a lot of Catholic institutions. We have a strong Catholic school system. We have good initiatives with youth and young adult ministry, and we're doing well with vocations to the priesthood and, and some to the religious life. So I would point out those strengths. Mm-hmm. As far as challenges, I would, I would point out that we also are facing what the larger challenge of the church of the United States, that's the influence of secularism and relativism. Mm-hmm. Even though I think we have a higher percentage of Catholics attending mass on Sunday, we still have the same problem of the church throughout the United States of, of it. That's not something that we should be complacent about. We have still the majority of Catholics not going to mass every Sunday. So that is a challenge, and it's different than in Africa. I mean, in Nigeria, 94% of Catholics go to Mass every Sunday. Hmm. I mean, that's kind of amazing. Yeah. And um, so I think that's something that we need to work on 
on, okay, why we need to um, reach out uh, to those who are uh, non-practicing or those who are unchurched. So I think that we need more zeal for evangelization. I think we have some parishes in our diocese where there is more outreach uh, to those who aren't coming to church. Um, but there are others that need to step up, that every parish should be an evangelizing community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the diocese can do so much, but this has to happen on the local level. Mm-hmm. So I would, I, yeah, to, I would say that one of the uh, other things I would say if the African bishop was asking me about our situation, I would also say that, you know, with the institutions that we have, whether they be Catholic schools or Catholic colleges and universities, Catholic healthcare, all of that, that, that the Catholic identity varies as far as, you know, and, and therefore as Bishop, of course, that's always a concern of mine that our institutions maintain a strong Catholic identity and mission. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be a challenge not just in our diocese, but throughout the United States, that, okay, we have this wonderful institutional structure that's the result of a couple centuries of of dedicated, especially religious women and religious and, and also diocesan who've built up, you know, our, our, our educational system and our healthcare system, et cetera. But then with the decline in the number of vocations, of religious and especially of religious, but even of priests, we have lay people who are involved that, you know, it's important. That's good. They can continue the mission, you know, but of course we have to make sure that there's good formation Mm -hmm. of our lay leaders, good formation in the faith and fidelity to the mission. So I think that's one of the things that we continue to work on. And I don't know what we do. I mean, we have some wonderful lay leaders in our diocese, for example. But we also need to guard against kind of some of the secularizing influences and tendencies of our culture. Yeah. Yeah. So with the synod, I guess, I don't know if it'd be this meeting itself or the next meeting next year or sometime in the future. What is the result of this? Is there a document that comes out or is it more just to inform Pope Francis so he can make wise decisions and, you know, there's not an official kind of production? Yeah, we don't know yet. I mean, there's, um, I did read something in the Instrumentum Laboris is that the goal is not to produce a document. Okay. So now that isn't to say that the Pope, I mean, normally that's what happens after a synod and then the Pope reflects, he issues what's called an apostolic exhortation, mm-hmm. which is his reflections and, and maybe some decisions. And we have some beautiful apostolic exhortations. Yeah. For example, I think of after the synod on the word of God, this uh, post-apostolic exhortation of Pope Benedict Sixteenth, Verbum Domini, the word of Lord is beautiful. Mm. And then there's the question, okay, how much are these post-apostolic exhortations really read by the people or known by the people? Sure. How much influence do they have? For me personally, they, they've influenced me in my ministry very mm-hmm. much. And the Pope, Pope Francis, after the last few synods, has issued post-synodal apostolic exhortations. But that's not to say that he's necessarily going to do one after okay. this synod. We don't know. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that with us and invite all the listeners to 
keep you in our prayers and all of the the bishops, the priests, religious laity that'll be there discerning the church's mission and uh, we'll definitely keep you all in our prayers. Thank you, Kyle. You know, as I mentioned, prayer is so such an integral part of the synod and it's not just those of us who are delegates needing to pray and that, but also we need the prayers mm. of you and, and all of the faithful so that we we genuinely do listen to the Holy Spirit in our discernment. So thank you and God bless. Thank you. Can we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It's engineered by Josh Skipper at the Diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend, produced by Miriam Schmitz and edited by Tony Marks for Spoke Street Media. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.